0: Uh, thanks, Caesar. Uh, good evening, everyone. Great to see you all here tonight. Uh, my name is Dal. Uh, if you've ever met me before, I'm one of the pastors here. A special welcome if you're visiting, to us, visiting us tonight. Uh, and can I say, happy Father's Day for all those fathers out there too. Uh, please keep your Bibles open to Luke 11, as uh, we look at verses 14 to 28, page 1616, 16, if you've accidentally closed your Bibles. Uh, Before we get stuck into God's Word, will you please join me as I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word that helps us understand the bigger perspective of the world around us. Heavenly Father, please help me to speak with clarity from your Word tonight. And we pray that wherever we are with you, whether we're living with you or have you at arm's length, We pray that you will give us all soft hearts that we may surrender to your call to live in your kingdom. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if it's hereditary, and and my dad is here and I have to ask him later, but I have the habit of always making the wrong choice when it comes to picking which queue to line up in. So whether it's the queue at Ikea or the one at Kohl's, nine times out of ten, I'm going to pick the wrong cue and end up waiting longer than I have to. And even when I pick the cue that seems the shortest, it's always the queue with either someone making a really big order or the trainee on their first day, not knowing what to do. And the worst thing is, I'm not a patient person. You know, our lives are full of making choices. And in a sense, it's like choosing which queue to be in. And our passage tonight shows us a very important choice that all of us have to make. The choice of whether we're going to live God's way or not. At the end of the day, there's only two ways to live. Now, as Christians, although we've already decided to live God's way, There may be times when we doubt following Jesus is the best way. Where there are times we may think doing things the opposite way may seem more attractive. It's like my situation with cues, where we're not too sure which cue is the right cue. We're still um umming and ahhing of where to choose Jesus or the alternative. But our passage tonight shows us that following Jesus will always be the right way. He'll always be the right cue to be in. Uh, Tonight we're going to see three things. We're going to see firstly the three uh, different reactions to Jesus. Then secondly, the fact that Jesus is stronger than the devil. And then thirdly, uh, the choice we all have. And now we're in that part of Luke's gospel that's called the travel narrative. And as Peter A. said earlier tonight, it's when Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem and he's making his way there as he makes his way to the cross. And along the way he's teaching people what it means to be his disciple. Now we read in verse 14 that Jesus has cast out a demon that has caused a man to be unable to speak. Now, the Bible doesn't normally link automatically a disability with a particular sin or demon possession. But in this case, it appears that the reason why this man can't speak was because a demon had taken hold of him. But the beauty of Jesus, who is so good... He refuses to abandon this man to either the demon or his disability. So what we see in verse 14, it is the first time this man could praise God, just like how we praised God a few minutes ago. And we see again a glimpse of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, where he's putting right that which is wrong, where he's healing that which is sick. He's restoring that which is broken. Now I know for some of you in this room here, not being able to talk for a long period of time would be one of the hardest things that you would have to endure. So you can imagine how excited this man would have felt. But the story doesn't actually follow the restored man. But instead it looks at the reactions to the crowd. Now, you think that if everyone who's amazed at this miracle, and they were, they would be convinced to start following Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. But that actually doesn't happen. And what we see here is two different reactions to Jesus. Uh, The first one is one of hostility. Uh, Please check out verse 15 with me. It says this. But some of them said, "By Belizabal, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons." Now, Belizabal is one of the pagan gods of Canaan, and we find him mentioned in Second Kings chapter one. But in time, the Jews would actually identify Belizabal as one of the arch demons under Satan. So basically, the only explanation for some of these people that Jesus could cast out this demon was because he was the prince of demons. This is probably one of the most ugliest ways to reject Jesus, not to mention the bluntest. We see another reaction to Jesus, and it's a little bit more subtle. We see in verse 16 that some people were sceptical. Now, they were open to the possibility that Jesus' power came from God, but they want a proof. Now, these two reactions, they're similar to the reactions that we see people in our own society today that they have about Jesus. We're living in a post-Christian era, and there'll be people who bluntly reject Jesus for who he is, you know, writing him off completely, then there'll be others who are more sceptical. They're willing to consider what Jesus has to offer, but before they make a commitment, they need a sign. They need more evidence that Jesus really is the saving God that he claims to be. In a sense, the sceptic is like a fence-sitter. Now, this kind of scepticism may actually seem less hostile than outright rejection, but can I say, it's no less dangerous. In fact, the skeptic may not actually be closer to God, any closer than the one who bluntly rejects Him. Because there will be some skeptics who have no real desire to know God at all. And they're just using their skepticism as an excuse to avoid committing to Jesus. Because the truth is, God has given actually more than enough evidence. Uh, you know, it's interesting for that particular crowd on that day, that they were asking for a sign. The fact that Jesus had healed a mute person can say it's actually a sign that Jesus is the real deal. You see, back in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah prophesies what life will look like when God's kingdom comes, when God's servant comes. Let me quickly show you chapter 35 of verse 6 of Isaiah. Uh, you can see that last pit highlighted in yellow. The mute will be shouting for joy. And as you can see, it's actually part of one of many signs that shows that God's kingdom is coming. We see other signs of the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, and the lame leaping like a deer. And Jesus is doing every one of those things as he's making the point loud and clear of who he really is. Now, in response to the accusation that he is of the devil, Jesus responds firstly with logic. And in verse 17, Jesus is basically saying that your accusation doesn't make sense. Because why would Satan want to undo the very work of chaos and destruction that he's been working so hard to bring about? And then Jesus then shows that they're being inconsistent with their logic. In verse 19, Jesus is saying... He's basically saying, if you're going to level that charge against me that I cast out demons by the power of Satan, what does that mean for your guys who are trying to cast out demons? Now, they may not be that successful, but they're trying to do it. And whatever measurement that you charge me with is the measurement you have to charge and accuse your own followers. It's a ridiculous argument that those guys are contradicting themselves. Then Jesus goes on to explain, it's not by the finger of Satan that he casts out demons, but by the finger of God himself. And if he drives out demons by the finger of God, then, as he says in verse 20, the kingdom of God has come upon you. So why does the coming of Jesus come coincide with the coming of the kingdom or because the king himself has come Jesus has come to take control over evil that has run rampant in our universe and at this point Jesus gives a parable of a strong man and a stronger man please check out verse 21 and 22 with me Jesus says this When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. So the strong man is Satan, who guards his house, inside of which is his possessions, and no one can take them. But then, Jesus introduces himself into the parable. He is the stronger man who attacks and overwhelms the strong man, strips him of his armour, and takes away his possessions. And the thing is, we are the spoils of this victory. And if we were to keep reading the rest of Luke's Gospel, we'll discover that this battle between Jesus and... And Satan is fought ultimately at the cross. Where it results in us being liberated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of Jesus. You see, Jesus isn't just the head of another world religion. He's not starting a new religion with some kind of uh, noble truths and some wise sayings like, love your neighbor like yourself. No. No. Jesus is the king, breaking in and overthrowing the kingdom of darkness that Satan has in this world. Now I know for us, at times, there's a temptation to somehow think that there's no one stronger than Satan. Because let's face it, Satan has more power than you. You are, in a sense, powerless if it was just between you and him. But Jesus is breaking into Satan's world. And this is not like a battle between two heavyweight boxers doing 15 rounds and you don't know what's going to happen. No. There was not even one iota of possibility of Satan winning this battle. And Jesus' victory finally climaxed at the cross. Where Satan was disarmed, because the moments that our sins were paid for, Satan, and his name means accuser, he had no more ability to accuse God's people anymore. Now, please check out what the Apostle Paul describes what happened to Satan at the cross. Now, Colossians chapter two, verses thirteen to fifteen says this. He, being Jesus, forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, uh, that's the devil and his evil forces, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So, not only do we have the guaranteed victory over the devil in the future, but we have the guaranteed victory over the devil right now. Now, the devil can still deceive. He can still deceive us with his lies. He can still tempt us to either do something that we know isn't right, or tempt us to walk away from God, to step out of his cue. But the promise of the Bible is that if we resist the devil, then he will flee from us. As you can see, the Bible says this more than once in the books of James and 1 Peter. Just to make sure we get this point. But how do we resist the devil? Well, it's not by turning to face him. It's actually turning to face Jesus. Jesus. It's not by directly engaging with him, but directly engaging with Jesus in his gospel. You see, we resist the devil by standing firm and fixing our eyes on Jesus and letting the devil go to his absolutely certain fate. And so if we resist in this Christ-centered way, the promise of the scriptures is so clear and easy Satan will flee from you because of the cross Satan is a defeated enemy so let's leave him that way and not treat him as if he's got some claim on our lives because he doesn't so because Jesus is stronger than the devil Well, Jesus is the one who's worth following. Well, in verse 23, Jesus confronts his audience with a choice. Uh, Please have a look at verse 23 with me. Verse 23 says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. We all have a choice to make there are only two categories that we have. is either we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, or else we decide to keep running with the devil. Now, there's no middle ground. There's no third option. We have to take sides. Now, what Jesus says here is really stark, and it's actually shocking. Now, and the second sentence that Jesus says there is that you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. You're either sowing or you're scattering. And it will do you no good if you think you're on neutral territory. I think that's why Jesus ends this section with verses 24 to 26. As he talks about the unclean spirit that's cast out of a man, it wanders for a little while, and then it returns and it discovers that this man's soul is vacant, vacant, Empty, it's cleaned up, but available for re entry. And we see there in verse 26 the demon, he gets seven of seven worst demons of his friends to join him, and the final state of that man is worse than it was originally. Now, why does Jesus explain it that way? Well, having a demon cast out of you. Well, do you no good unless you turn to Jesus? Again, there's no neutral zone. Either Satan is in you or Jesus is. Turning away from sin, uh, saying no to whatever addictions you have, cleaning up your life and not turning to Jesus actually leaves you in exactly the same place. The kingdom of darkness. Now you might be a nicer neighbour to have, but all you've done is that you've become a socially acceptable member of the kingdom of darkness. Again, there's no third option. Even the fence that you might be sitting on actually belongs to the kingdom of darkness. You see what Jesus is saying here? He says that everyone actually starts in the kingdom of darkness. And that's where I start. And so the question for me and the question for you is, will I shift kingdoms? Will I actually become a follower of Jesus? Will I place myself out of the rule of Satan and under the rule of Christ? Now I'm aware that what I'm saying just then... It can actually be thoroughly offensive. These words from Jesus, they're really hard words. Jesus is basically saying, you can give your life to world vision. You can give your life loving lepers in a leper colony. But if you don't accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're in the same spiritual category as the Satan worshipper. Because there's only two categories. You know, even I'm offended with that idea. Even I feel uncomfortable just saying it. Except the fact that Jesus said it. And I'll side with him every day. Please see how dangerous it is to be satisfied with any change in life that happens outside of Jesus being your life people who try a little bit harder to live a little bit better, they need to know that it really doesn't actually work. In order to experience real and lasting change, we need something more than just personal advice and a self-help program. Not even casting out a demon is enough. We need to let Jesus come into the house of our souls and for him to own us. We need, in a sense, to be possessed by Jesus. Now, now, I know that we use that word possessed in a negative way. Now, when we use that word possessed, we either think of the exorcist or anything to do with envy or jealousy. But what Jesus says here is that if you let him possess you, He can truly transform you from the inside out. Where he can replace your worry with trust. Your greed with contentment. Your anger with patience. And your addictions with selfless enthusiasm for God. And if you're here tonight and you want to shift right... If you want to shift and change kingdoms, well, you can pray for that right now in your seat and ask him to be your saviour and king. Or if you want to talk to someone about it, please chat to myself or Peter M or Peter Adcock after the service tonight. We've seen tonight that Jesus is the stronger man. And because of that, we can live a life that's truly free from the devil. When instead of living a life of, that's marked by death and anxiety and slavery, we can have a life that's marked by resurrection, by assurance, and by freedom. And that's what makes Jesus the cue that's worth living, uh, lining up in. The cue that you want to keep sticking with. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that through the Lord Jesus our victory over sin and death and the devil are assured. And that we are now your children, children of the kingdom of light, that we now have the hope of everlasting life and victory over the devil. We confess for those times when we give in to the lies and temptations of the devil, when we give Satan a foothold. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll keep growing us in our walk with you, that we may keep looking to the Lord Jesus and to resist the devil so that he may flee from us. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are here tonight, where they may be even sitting on the fence with regards to you. Heavenly Father, I pray that today may be the day where they shift kingdoms and allow you to own the house of their souls. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.